I love Brother Bill. This is one of my favorite places to preach, and I'm always honored to come here. Uh, when you get as old as I am, you're glad to be anywhere. Uh, they say that when you get old, three things happen to you. Uh, number one, you get feeble. You can see that's happened to me. Uh, number two, you forget what you're going to say. And number three, um, <laughs> I can't remember what number three was. Uh, but uh, I'm honored to be with you, and I am... I'm just privileged to be here. I love your pastor so much. He's one of my dearest friends, and I love your church. And I hope you'll listen carefully to what I have to say today. Uh, you know, when you get old, you, you say funny things. Uh, you don't mean to say funny things. You just say funny things. Uh, I heard about these two old guys the other day, Brother Bill. They, they were both old, and they were sitting out on the back porch talking. And one of them turned to the other, and he said, Bob... I can never remember, was it you or your brother that was killed in World War II? <laughs> now, the sad part is that some of you didn't catch that. <laughs> I want you to open your Bibles today, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to read you what I believe is one of the most solemn warnings in all of the Bible. When I read this, I tremble to think about the consequences of what happens when the gospel is preached. So if you look at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Have you ever noticed in the English language that there are some words that become attached to other words, and you cannot think of one of them without thinking of the other? There are a lot of words like that. And one of those words that has attached itself to another word is the word blind. When you see the word blind or hear the word blind, what is the first thing that comes into your mind? Somebody that can't see. And when you think of somebody that can't see, what is the next thing that comes into your mind? Your eyes. So you see blind, seeing eyes are inseparably linked up together. And I say that to show you a very interesting thing about what Paul said. If your eyes are the ones that see things, doesn't it seem logical that Paul would have said, in whom the God of this world has blinded the eyes, blinded eyes? But notice that he didn't say that. But he said, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. You see, your eyes is what tells you what you can do, but it is our mind that determines what we shall do. That's why you hear people all the time make a statement like this. I have made up my mind. 
Now, when you say I've made up my mind, what do you mean? You mean that I have decided what I'm going to do. You don't ever hear anybody say I've made up my eyes, do you? Now, if you're a lady that uses mascara, you might say that, but you don't normally say that. No, you don't say I've made up my eyes. No, you make up your mind. So when the apostle Paul said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Now, here's what that means. That the devil has learned how to put his thoughts into our thoughts until we become so deceived that we think it's our thoughts. Now, think about that. The devil is so wise that he could slip into your mind thoughts that are his thoughts that he wants you to think, and you don't even know it. That's what being blinded by the word of the devil is all about. Now, I'm going to show you how that happens. We're going to preach a little simple sermon today, and at the end of this sermon, I'm going to ask some of you in this building, if you would get up, walk down one of these aisles, and do whatever God tells you to do. You may need to be saved. You may need to be baptized. You may need to move a church letter. I don't know what God might tell you to do. But I'm going to ask you to get up and just step down one of these aisles at the invitation period. But even before we get to that point, the devil has already begun to assault some of your minds. He is already working on your thought processes, and he's going to put in your thinking some thoughts that are his thoughts that you thought were your thoughts. And he's going to deceive somebody here today to the point that you don't want to walk down this aisle because he's blinded your mind. Now, let me show you what he's going to tell somebody. He's going to tell somebody, you don't want to walk down that aisle because you're a visitor. You don't go to that church. You're not a Baptist. You don't live in Florence. You don't want to walk down that aisle. You're just a guest. And I would think on this day, when you have lots of people that are guests, that would be unusually appropriate. You see, one of the things the devil knows is how to get you to be tricked into doing what you don't normally think you'd do. And so the devil is going to tell you, you don't want to walk down this aisle because you're a visitor. Folks, it don't matter whether you're a visitor or a member of the church. If God tells you to come down this aisle, don't let the devil deceive you from coming. I was in a meeting at First Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida, some time ago, and when I got home, I had an email from a man in New York City, and he said, Brother Hill, I'm just writing to tell you that I heard you preach last Sunday at First Baptist in Jacksonville, Florida, and I wanted to let you know that I was saved in that service. And I thought, now, isn't that interesting? Here's a man from New York City. He doesn't even live in Jacksonville. He just happened to be there on business. And yet God spoke to his heart and he was saved. Aren't you grateful that you don't have to join the church where you hear the gospel to get saved? You may be here today. You might not want to join the, this particular church, but you'd like to be saved. So when the invitation is given, if you're a guest and you want to be saved, just walk down this aisle and tell the pastor you want to be saved. Don't let the fact that you're a visitor keep you from doing the will of God. Somebody else is going to say, I'm not going to walk down that aisle because I wouldn't know what to say. What would I say if I walked down that aisle? Well, if I walked down that aisle, he might ask me to name the books of the Bible. I'm not going to walk down that aisle. 
Well, you know, Brother Bill, there was a time I used to think that was silly. I, I'd hear people say that, and I said, well, that's silly. But I have learned over the years that that's a real issue with a lot of people. And I'll tell you how I learned it. I was in a meeting in Chattanooga some years ago, and when the invitation was over, a woman came down to talk to me, and she was crying. She said, Brother Hill, I really was touched by your heart, by your message today, it touched my heart. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm, I'm grateful that the message was of value to you. Uh, why didn't you come forward like some other people did? And I never will forget, Brother Bill, what she said. Well, those tears rolling down her eyes, she said, Brother Hill, I don't go to church, and I don't know the language of the church, and I did not know what to say. And it occurred to me that here was a precious woman that wanted to be saved and was intimidated by the language of the church. You see, folks, we who go to church get a language we understand, and sometimes the people in the world don't know what we're talking about. I was in a meeting the other day and the pastor was up exhorting people. He said, I wonder how many of you here are totally depraved. Would you like the vicarious atonement of Jesus propitiation applied to your depravity? <laughs> I said, huh? <laughs> I'm a seminary graduate. I don't know if I understand what that means. Uh, folks, let me set your heart at ease. Would you like to be saved today? Would you like to know that you are a child of God and you're going to heaven when you die? That when this invitation is given, just walk down one of these aisles, say to Brother Bill or one of these men who will be standing here, this simple little thing, I want to be saved. I'd like to know Jesus. I want to give my heart to Christ. Nobody's going to ask you a lot of questions you can't answer. Nobody's going to embarrass you. And just simply walk down this aisle and say, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Christ. And you can settle that today. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing you don't know what to say. The devil's going to tell somebody else, you don't want to walk down that aisle because you're not a bad person. You never have killed anybody. You've never robbed a bank. You don't do drugs. You're not into sexual immorality. Well, you're all right. You'll go to heaven when you die. You know, one of the hardest things, Pastor, that I have to face as a traveling evangelist is getting people to understand how you're saved. Now, I want you to listen very carefully because this is so easy to misunderstand. Nobody is saved by being good, and nobody is lost by being bad. You see, if you're saved by being good, how good do you have to be? If you're lost by being bad, how bad do you have to be? No, you see, when God determines who's lost or who is saved, he has one simple principle by which he judges every person. Now listen very carefully. God puts every living being in the world into two categories. And here, here what, here's what they are. Now listen very carefully. Jesus made it very clear when he said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now here are the categories. He that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not condemned, but he that believeth not 
is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, folks, that's how God judges the world. He doesn't look at a person and say, you're too bad to get saved. No, he looks at a person and say, have you received Christ? If you have, you're not lost. He doesn't look at somebody and say, you're good enough to go to heaven. No, he simply says, have you received Jesus as your Savior? So here today, you don't want to think about whether you're good or bad. You want to think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. They shed his blood, paid the penalty for your sin, was buried and resurrected. And if by faith you'll put your trust in him, God says you will not be condemned. Isn't that wonderful to know that God's grace is so simple that if you'll just say, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, he will redeem you and you'll go to heaven when you die. Don't let the devil blind you by telling you you got to be good or you're too bad. Listen, God loves you and he did the saving if you'll trust him. The devil's going to tell somebody else, you don't want to walk down that aisle because you're too bad. God wouldn't save you. Look at all the bad things you've done. Why, you've told lies and you've stolen and you've been immoral and you're into drugs and sexual immorality. God wouldn't save you. Look what a bad person you are. I meet people all the time, pastors, I travel around the country who think, well, I'm too bad. God would never save me. Folks, let me tell you something. It don't matter what you've ever done, how many times you've ever done it or with whom you've ever done it. God loves you and Jesus will save you if you will trust him today. Nobody is ever too bad to be saved. I had a woman come up to me several years ago after the service. She said, Brother Hill, I wish I could be saved. And I said, well, ma'am, you can be saved. Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for you. Oh, no, Brother Hill, I've been too bad. I can't be saved. Well, I said, ma'am, I don't know what you've done, but I can tell you it don't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. He paid the debt for all of your sins. Oh, but Brother Hill, you don't know what I've done. I said, well, it don't matter what you've done, but just tell me what it is so I can assure you of it. And she looked at me and with big old tears in her eyes. She said, Brother Hill, I have been married three times. And I am living right now with a man who is not my husband. And she held up those fingers like that, put them right up in my face. She said, I, I've got three living husbands, and I'm living with a man now that I'm not married to. I don't believe God would ever save anybody like that. I said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry that's happened to you. That's not a good thing. But I got some good news for you. There was a woman in the Bible who met Jesus at a well one time who had been married five times and was also living with a man who wasn't her husband when he met her. And Jesus saved her. I said, it looks to me like you got about two more to go yet and God will save you. <laughs> now, folks, I'm not here to make light of sin, but I'm telling you, you couldn't do enough sin to keep you out of the kingdom of God. If you die and go to hell, it won't be because you were so bad God wouldn't save you. It would be so stubborn that you wouldn't let God save you. See, Jesus wants to save you. Don't matter how bad you've been, God wants to save you. The devil's going to tell somebody else, you don't want to walk down that aisle. You're too old. Well, you're an old man. You're an old woman. You couldn't get saved. You're too old. I meet people sometimes who think they're too old to get saved. 
I was preaching over at uh, Snellville, Georgia last year. And when the invitation was given that morning, we had a lady walk down the aisle. She, you could tell by looking at her, she's an older lady. And she came down to the front and the pastor prayed with her and sat her down on the front pew. And after the invitation was over, he was presenting her. He said, I won't miss so-and-so to come and stand here. And she came and stood before the church. And I could tell, you know, he's a little anxious about asking a woman this question. But, but he, he could see that she was old. And he said, ma'am, if it would not be too inappropriate or out of place, uh, could I ask, how old are you? She said, I am 98 years old. 98 years old. I thought about you, Brother Bill. 98 <laughs> years old. Now, folks, aren't you grateful to God you don't ever get too old to get saved? Maybe you're here today and you say, boy, when I was a little child, God touched my heart and I wanted to be saved. I didn't do it, but I guess I've waited too long. Oh, no, you never wait too long as long as you'll come to Jesus. And so I want to ask you when this invitation is given, even though you may be an older person, just step down this aisle and say, I want to come to Jesus right now. And he'll save you regardless of how old you are. Somebody else is going to say, I'm too young. I'm just a young boy, a young girl. I'm too young to give my heart to Jesus. No, nobody's never too young if you can understand the gospel. A little boy wrote Billy Graham a letter several years ago. It appeared in a local paper, and I cut it out. I want to read you what this little boy wrote Dr. Graham. Dear Dr. Graham, how old do you have to be before you can be saved? I am eight years old, and I want to be sure I'll go to heaven when I die. Am I too young to believe in Jesus? And listen to what this uh, great man of God said to that little eight-year-old boy. Thank you for your letter, and no, you aren't too young to give your life to Jesus. One reason you aren't too young is because you're old enough to know when you do things you shouldn't do. That's what sin is, doing things God doesn't want you to do. That is the first step in coming to Jesus, recognizing your sin. But also not too young to come to Jesus because you can understand that he loves you. He even came down from heaven and died for you on the cross. Now he offers you salvation as a free gift if you'll only believe it and accept it. Is there a little boy or a little girl, a teenager here today, and you're saying in your heart, I'd like to be saved, but maybe I'm too young. Folks, listen, if God's speaking to you, you can mark it down, you're old enough to be saved. God wouldn't tell you to get saved if you're too young to get saved. And if you feel today in your heart that you'd like to be saved, regardless of how old you think you have to be, you'll come to Jesus. He'll save you today. Now, I want to give you just a word of warning. I hope you'll hear me very carefully, young people, you teens that are here, little boys and girls who may be here. I want you to listen to me. Dr. James Dobson, Focus on the Family, probably the best-known Christian child psychologist in America, recently released these statistics. I want you to listen to what Dr. Dobson said. He said, based upon the best evidence that we have available to us, 
Studies have shown that those people who are not saved by the time they're about 18 years old, 90% of them eventually are never saved. Now let me run that by you again. Dr. Dobson said that the studies say that those that are not saved by about the age of 18 never do get saved, not about 90% of them. Does that mean God gives up on you because you're too old? No, I've already told you that. You're never too old and you're never too young. But when you don't come to Jesus when you're young, the overwhelming majority of you <clears throat> never will come to Christ. And there may be a little boy here today, a teenager, a little girl, and God's going to speak to your heart. and He's going to tell you, I want you to walk down that aisle. Don't tell the Lord that you're too young. If he speaks to you, he wants you to come. And I'm going to ask you to do what God tells you. Somebody else is going to say, I'm not going to walk down that aisle. I'm saved. I just haven't been baptized. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. I don't think you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. Aren't you grateful to God that it's the blood of Jesus that saves you from your sin? And I'm not here to tell you that you've got to be baptized to be saved. But I am here to tell you that when you are saved, God wants you to be baptized. And you should want to be baptized if you're really saved. When you love somebody, you're proud of them. You husbands are proud of your wives, aren't you? Oh, you husbands are proud of your wives, aren't you? It's too late now, man. Some of you women got some serious problems. Don't realize you've got problems every day. Well, if you love somebody, you're proud of them. How many times have you had a man walk up to you and say, I'd like to introduce you to my wife. Isn't she ugly? I bet he hadn't said that but one time in his lifetime. No, when you love somebody, you're proud of them. I mean, you want everybody to know, this is my husband, this is my wife, uh, this is my grandchild, my son, my daughter, my sweetheart. Oh, when you love somebody, you want everybody to know. Then why is it that there are lots of people in the church, going to church every Sunday, that say they're saved, but they won't be baptized? I find that hard to believe. Why would you not want to obey what God told you to do? If you're saved, he said, I want you to be baptized. Let everybody know you're not ashamed. And so I believe there's somebody right here today in this auditorium. Maybe somebody that was saved when you was a little boy in a Bible school or a teenager in a youth retreat or a mother or dad saved in a hospital bed somewhere. You've been saved in the past, but you haven't been baptized. Why don't you today just step down this aisle? Why don't you just walk down one of these aisles and say, Pastor, I've been saved and I'm not ashamed of Jesus and I want to be baptized the next time this church has a baptizing service. Folks, I tell you, if I was a saved man and never been baptized, I would do my best to get baptized because God told me to do it. Now, I want to say another word about that. I want you to listen very, very carefully. I'm sure that... Perhaps in the past years when I've been here, I may have said this, but that's all right. I, I want you to listen very carefully about this matter of baptism. Hear me very, very carefully. You know, a lot of people get baptized in the wrong place. 
You say, now, Brother Hill, do you mean up here in this baptistry? No, I'm not talking about location. I'm talking about spiritual position. In the Bible, here's where people were always baptized. They heard the word of God, they were saved, and then they were baptized. You can look at anybody in the New Testament that was saved, and that's always the divine order. They heard the word of God, they were saved, and then they were baptized. Now, unfortunately, here's what happens to a lot of people. And I would suspect that it's happened to somebody in this building right here today, if the truth were known. Sometimes people get baptized. They hear the word of God, and then they get saved. And then when they get saved, they look back and they say, well, I've already been baptized back there in the past. But you can't be biblically baptized till first of all, you've been saved. See, baptism has to be done in the order that it was ordained because of what it teaches you. When you go down into that water and you're baptized, it shows that you have died to your sins with Jesus. And when you come up out of that water, it testifies that you've been resurrected to a new life. So the symbolism declares what's happened to you. So if that's never happened to you, any baptism that takes place before you're saved is no baptism at all. I was up in uh, one of the New England states, New Hampshire, some time ago. And they had a little praise band that was uh, singing, uh, made up of young people primarily. And a, and a young boy was playing the guitar. And I preached something about this sermon I'm preaching here today to you. And uh, when the invitation was over, he came down and talked to me. Uh, he said, Brother Junior, I, I, I want to ask you a question. He said, you talked about uh, being baptized after you get saved, and I, I want to ask you, uh, my mom and daddy tell me when I was a little, little boy, a little baby, that they had me baptized or christened in a, uh, an Episcopalian church. But he said, I, I don't remember anything about that, obviously, but several years ago when I came to this church, one Sunday my pastor preached and I got saved. Now, I want to ask you, Brother Hill, should I get baptized? I said, well, son, let me ask you two questions. Were you saved when you were christened as a child? Well, no, I don't remember what that's all about. I don't even know what happened. I said, well, are you saved now? He says, yes, I am. I'm saved now. I said, well, you just need to get baptized. You see, folks, baptism happens after you get saved. Now, I'm going to tell you right here today what's happened to some people in this building. And I'm not trying to be judgmental to you or harsh. I love you, and I'm trying to help you. But I'm going to tell you what happened to some people right here in this building. Years ago, when you was a little boy or a little girl, you went to a vacation Bible school. And when the preacher gave that decision sermon on that closing day, a lot of your little buddies went forward. And they said, we want to we wanna be baptized. And so you said, I want to be baptized too. And so you just walked down to the front and said, Pastor, I, I want to be baptized like Bill and Sue and Joe and Mary. And you got baptized. But it meant nothing to you. I mean, you did it because your friends did. But you grew up. 
And you got under the anointed preaching of a godly pastor like Dr. Bill. And one day you were saved, genuinely saved. But you've never followed Christ in a believer's baptism since you got saved. You know what you ought to do today? You ought to get up. You ought to step into one of these aisles. You ought to walk right down here to the front. Take this pastor by the hand and say, Pastor, I've been put under the water, but I've never been scripturally baptized, and I want to be baptized. Now, I'm sure there's people here who say, oh, it don't matter whether you baptized before you saved, after you saved. Well, let me give you a little illustration to see if you think it's, it means anything. We have a lot of pretty young girls here today. I look out across the audience, all these lovely teenage girls. Uh, they have in their mind this mental illusion of Mr. Wonderful, who's one day coming, don't you? Mr. Wonderful's going to ride up on a white horse. He's going to be tall, handsome guy. He's going to sweep me up into his arms, and we'll ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. All these teenage girls got that fantasy in their mind. A lot of you old women got that fantasy in your mind. <laughs> Now, let's suppose I call one of those girls up here to the platform. Young lady, yesterday when I was coming through the airport, I stopped at a little store and I bought me a box of Cracker Jacks. And when I got down in the bottom of that Cracker Jack box, I found that they, they had a little imitation uh, wedding ring in the bottom. You know, all of them have little prizes. And I said, I got this... Uh, imitation wedding band out of that box of Cracker Jacks. And I want to give it to you just to, as a token of being in your church. And I'll give her that little Cracker Jack ring. Well, one day, Mr. Wonderful is coming, girls. He's really coming. Now, he's not going to be tall, slim, and handsome. He's going to be short, fat, and ugly. <laughs> but you're going to love him more than you ever dreamed you could love anybody. And you go stand at an altar someday, and there by your side is that old boy that loves you and says he wants to be your husband. And the preacher looks at him and says, son, you got a ring for this girl's finger? Yes, sir. I made the final payment at Walmart on it last night. <laughs> All right, son. Take the ring, put it on her finger. And he walks over and begins to slip that ring on your finger. And you draw back your hand. No, thank you. I don't want to wear that ring. Why? Because I already have a ring. I got a ring that a preacher got out of a box of Cracker Jacks. And that's the ring I want to wear. Do you think that's what you would say? If that's what you would say, we've got a counseling clinic down the road here. Little ass. We're going to get you some help. No, you wouldn't say that. You would say, I gladly wear the ring of the one who loves me. And you'll drop that garbage can ring where it belongs. Now, folks, I say this very kindly, very lovingly. I don't want to be hurtful or in any way downgrading to anybody. But I believe with all of my heart that there's somebody right here today in this building that you got baptized because of somebody else 
meant nothing to you. And sometimes you've been aware of it as God has told you, you need a real baptism and it'll be hard for you to do it. It'll be difficult for you to do it because the devil will attack your pride. If you walk down that aisle, it'll be embarrassing. But the main thing is, what's Jesus going to think about you when you stand before him? And I believe with all of my heart, there are numbers of people today that ought to just slip down one of these aisles and say, Pastor, I got a Cracker Jack baptism. I want a real baptism. And you could go home one of these days having obeyed God correctly. Wouldn't that be good? I'm going to ask you to come. Now, there's one other person here today. And this is the one single person the devil is going to direct most of his attention to. He's going to whisper in your ear, you can get saved some other time. You see, the devil will never tell you that this is the last chance you'll have. No, he says you can get saved some other time. He's a master of deceit. I want to read you some statistics. I don't use a lot of statistics, but I read these the other day and I was enamored with them. And I want you to listen very carefully to these statistics before we close this sermon. Statisticians tell us that on any given day, there are 7.2 billion people alive in the world. Today, while we're gathered here, around the world, there are over 7 billion people. Here's what the statistics that they're gathered tell us. Approximately 56 million people die every year. 56 million. But now here is the astonishing statistics I want you to hear. Three million of them die with heart attacks. Not heart disease, but heart attacks. They just drop dead. 1.3 million people die every year in automobile accidents. Over half of them, 15 to 44 years old. The fallacy that people that die in automobile accidents are old people doesn't meet the statistics. Most of the people that die in automobile accidents are young, 15 to 44. 1.2 million people die every year from drowning. 556,000 people die every year from falling. They climb up a ladder and fall. They look over a cliff too close and tumble down. They hit their foot on a rug, run into a headboard and are killed. Falling. Now that's only about four simple ways that were mentioned that people die. How many others is innumerable? But now here's the one question I want to ask you. Did you see the common denominator in all of those people that we talked about dying? There was one simple principle that de described every one of them. Do you see what it was? Every one of them died unexpected. Do you think those people that went to work in the morning and said, I'm going to drop dead with a heart attack today. 
I'm going to get in the car, drive down to the grocery store. I'm going to get killed on the way. I need to change this light bulb. I'm going to fall off the ladder and break my neck. I'm going in the den to get a Coke, and I'm going to stumble on the rug and fall and hit my head against the door, and I'm going to die. You think they ever said that? Not a single one of them probably ever thought that. And that's why the devil is so clever to tell you that you got plenty of time and you can do it anytime you want. I'm sure in the times that I've been here, I've shared this with you because it's my testimony. And if I were to come back again another time, I'd probably tell you it again because it's the testimony that I have. I was saved when I was 17 years old. Two years later, God called me to be a preacher. And the first sermon I ever preached, my mama and my daddy and my sister were all saved. The first sermon I ever preached. But I had a brother who was the oldest member of our family. I'm the youngest and my brother was the oldest. And he came to hear me preach my first meeting. And that night when the invitation was given, I saw my brother standing back there in the back crying. And I knew that God had spoken to his heart. And I thought, Lord, please help him come today. Please help him walk down this aisle. But he wouldn't come. He stood back there and cried. We got home that night. I was talking to him. I said, Leon, I saw you crying tonight. Did God speak to you? He sure did, son. I really need to be saved. Well, Leon, let's just bow down right now, and I'll, I'll pray with you and read the Bible, tell you how to be saved. You be saved right here tonight, Leon. No, I don't want to do that right now, Junior, but I'm going to do it a little later. What my brother didn't know, nobody else but God knew, was it about six months later, he's going to be standing with a fishing pole in his hand that warm November morning. And just like that, he just toppled over in the water, dead. I don't like to say what I'm about to say. It makes me very sad to say this. But while I'm standing here in Florence, South Carolina today, my brother very likely is in hell. And he's there for one reason. Because he said what somebody in this building is about to say. I will do it some other time. I'll get saved some other time. I'll get baptized some other time. I got plenty of time. And the devil is going to blind your mind. And the Bible says, deceive you by tricking you. Don't let him do that. If you need to be saved, you need to be baptized, just step down this aisle when we stand to sing. Don't wait if you're the only person. Don't say, I'll go if somebody else goes. Don't matter about anybody else. You may be the only person that comes. But if you need to come, you need to come. And I'm going to ask you to. Would you bow your head just a moment, please? You have been listening to Evangelist Junior Hill. Junior Hill is really a legend among Baptist evangelists. And today you've heard this dear brother just absolutely open up his heart and plead with you to come to Christ. 
You know, many people have objections in their minds, rationalizations as to why they have not received Christ and become Christians. And in this message today, Junior Hill dealt with almost every one of those excuses that people build within their mind to keep them from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's talking about is making that decision to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into the world and died on the cross. And that in dying on the cross, God accepted his sacrifice, his death, as the substitutionary payment for your sins. The key word in Christianity is substitute, that Jesus took our place, that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the punishment for our peace was upon him. And we did not have to pay our sin debt. And as you've listened to Junior Hill today, I'm sure that in many cases, the Lord has stirred your heart. And I want you right now, if you believe that gospel message that I just described, that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, and you want to trust that for your salvation, I want you to bow your head and just pray a prayer. Just tell the Lord that right now, beginning at this moment, you're trusting Him for your eternal salvation. Regularly, I hear from people who watch the Baptist Temple Hour, and they tell me that they have received Christ into their life. And today, if you are sitting in your home or wherever you may be, and you're conscious of your need, that you need a Savior, that you cannot save yourself, and you've heard Evangelist Hill just plead with you today and your heart is touched, I want you to just bow your head and tell the Lord that you want to be saved. Just pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I realize that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself, but I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins and I'm putting all of my trust in what he did on the cross to be the basis of my salvation. And if you do that, and you pray a prayer like that, I want you to let me know. You can email us or call us or write us. The contact information is on your screen. Let me know that you trusted Christ after Junior Hill preached today. Thank you for watching today. I hope that God has blessed you through this program, and we'll see you again, Lord willing, next week.